Welcome back, folks, to the Lords of Order, a DC Dr. Fate fan podcast. I'm your host, Ed Moore, and this is episode 46. If you care to leave any feedback, you can email that to me at thedrfatepodcast at gmail.com. Leave comments on the website, bigtimenoise.com slash drfate, or on the Lords of Order pages on Google Plus and or Facebook. The issue... This episode is All-Star Comics Volume 1, Number 7, dated October, November 1941. Now these All-Star Comics stories, for those of you that may be new, are uh, the Justice Society of America is the topic, multiple members. There's a framing sequence, beginning and end, and each of the individual characters has their own uh, multi-page mission to run. So... You know, like the first set will be Spectre. Second set of pages will be Dr. Midnight. Third, etc., etc. With the opening telling you the story and then the ending sequence tying everything together. Now, the framing sequence beginning and end this issue were done by Gardner Fox on scripts with pencils and inks done by Everett Hibbard. The Dr. Fate sequence was scripted by Gardner Fox and penciled and inked by Stan Ashmeyer. Now these All-Star Squadron books, All-Star Squadron, excuse me, All-Star Comics, um, the original, have some interesting text pieces, uh, usually at the beginning and end. This one begins with, Eight mighty men, their deeds and actions heralding their fame, from the shores of the Rio Grande to the Great Lakes. From the Atlantic to the Pacific, America resounds with their trumpet-like blast of their names. And the roll call. These are current members. The Green Lantern, Spectre, Sandman, Dr. Fate, Hawkman, Johnny Thunder, Adam, and Our Man. And we also have three honorary members. Batman and Superman. And recently we've added The Flash. These modern heroes of sensational adventures are banded together to fight all crime and lawlessness. Yet at this meeting, there is a new note. The note of tragedy that war brings to tiny children bereft of home and parents. You are all invited to join the Justice Society as it meets in solemn conclave to determine what can be done for these suffering innocents. So there is a prelude to the prelude of the story, uh, as, as you will. Two, four, six, seven members are here as the eighth member, who is the current chair, Green Lantern, is late. And they're all kind of speaking about and fussing about gently, you know, that he's late. Green Lantern, this is the Golden Age Green Lantern, Alan Scott. Oh, spoiler, if you didn't know that was Green Lantern. Um comes in late and he explains that he is late because he has been touring the war-torn lands of Europe and Asia to see what things are like. He has come back very um, gloomy, uh, discouraged, depressed. I'm not exactly sure what the word would be. Shocked, I think, in part. Because he says... um, He goes on to describe two of the locales. Uh, I flew to Europe and saw ruthless bombings of small villages in England. 
those children who had escaped injury found themselves alone in a world gone mad, their homes and parents gone. Next, I flew over bomb-torn China and saw tragedy in the faces of starving youngsters. So, what Green Lantern has decided should be done is the refugee organizations that target children should be assisted. And the way to assist them is to send money, to donate money. He proposes that the Justice Society set a goal to raise $1 million to turn over to these organizations specifically to help refugee children. Um, now, the Hawkman, trying to be formal, uh, there, there's a motion and a second and a vote okay, as to what the, the society should do. Hawkman proposes the motion. And for me, telling was the end here because he says, uh, uh, blah, 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 for the relief of refugee children in the worn, torn democracies. Okay? And seconded and passed. And so what they agree to do is they agree to raise $100,000 each would make a total of $800,000. Johnny Thunder, to kind of prove that he, he wears big boy pants says that he will bring in $300,000. So his one plus an additional two, bringing the total donation from the Justice Society to around $1 million. So they break up and go on their own ways to try to you know, raise their portions of the uh, their pledges, I guess as it were. And Johnny Thunder, in the last panel of that section stops to think, hmm, maybe I did overextend myself. I don't know if I can really come up with $100,000 or $300,000 or not. Oh, man. And we move on. So then we start experiencing the, <clears throat> excuse me, the different superheroes' uh, adventures in trying to raise their money. First we have Green Lantern, and then the Spectre, the Atom, and then our interest, Dr. Fate. Now, I pointed out what Hawkman said because he said to help refugee children in the war-torn democracies. Alan Scott commented about having gone to China. I didn't think that China in 1941 was a democracy. I could be wrong, but in essence, that means that one of the examples that Alan Scott used, if they're not a democracy the Justice Society will not be donating money to, even though the children there are just as bad off because of uh, the Indo, um, Indochina War, or whatever the name of it was, just prior to World War II, I think in the early to late 30s, Japan was assaulting China. Indochina War? Something like that. So that's where the Flying Tigers... Uh, came to fame and and some other things like that. As I said, just prior to the U.S.'s involvement with Japanese-Chinese affairs in World War II, uh, supposedly, thanks to the, of course, attack on Pearl Harbor, uh, which, you know, whatever theories, that's that's a whole other thing. But uh, So I, I just thought that was interesting that they mentioned democracies, and then they mentioned China, and I, I just I didn't think that at the time China was a democracy. So 
Okay, Dr. Fate. Our narrator tells us the master of mysteries is facing one of the greatest mysteries he ever sought to unravel. The problem of raising the necessary $100,000, not one hundred, but just $100,000, his share of the Justice Society's million-dollar contribution to the Fund for the Orphans of War-Torn Democracies. And in this box, you can tell that this was lettered by hand because the spacing is funky throughout it. I thought that was kind of funny, too, that you could see. And Dr. Fate is in his tower, it appears... He um, has his full helm on again, not the half mask that we saw last episode in the More Fun Comics issue, issue 72, which was the first appearance of that. Nope, he's got the full helm this time. So he figures that Inza can help him figure out how to raise the money. So he changes to Kent Nelson garb and goes to see her. Well, she's looking through for ideas in, in a newspaper, apparently, and says that uh, here's a prize contest that offers $25,000 for an article on crime, how to commit it and prevent it. Well, that ought to be duck soup for you. I guess duck soup means it's easy. I don't know. I've never had duck soup, so I don't know. I don't know exactly the connotation there. Connotation? Inference? Whatever the word would be. Um, Kent says, I think you have something there. I'll do it. So he sets about writing the article, and uh, Inza sends it in, but she sends it in in her name just because she gets in a hurry and, you know, addresses, and because they're under the gun to get it in by a certain time. So she does that. Uh, come to find out that will be telling uh, that she sent it in in her name. So she mails it off, and it goes to the offices of the Crime Writers League, who read it talk it over, decide that Inza has won, come to find out the Crime Writers League is a group of, th- of uh, yeah, I can't use thugs because I've been told that that has a bad connotation, uh, a group of bad guys, ne'er-do-wells, um, miscreants, whatever bad guy word you want to insert there, is in charge of this crime order. Actually, that's who they are. They are the a, a criminal syndicate, as they refer to themselves. So now they have gotten a plan as to what to do and a method of what to watch out for to prevent them from doing what to do to commit the perfect crime. So they uh, go to gather up Inza, because she now is the quote-unquote boss. It's her idea. So any questions or, or specifics will come from her. They go to pick her up, telling her she's won. You know, come on, we'll, we'll take it to the, to the prize. Uh, they end up kidnapping her. And then they tell her that we nabbed you so that you can help us pull off the crime that you wrote about. And you can either help us or we'll kill you. Uh, the, you know, that's, that's what the offer boils down to. Well, she focuses real hard and and of course you can't see me because i'm sitting here straining you might have heard it in my voice i don't know why i did that but she strains and tries to contact dr fate mentally and she does ultimately he he hears her her plea for help as it were uh phases through the walls of his tower and flies off through the sky leaps dr fate with the rapidity of the very wind our narrator tells us the rapidity of the very wind. I thought that was kind of curious wording. 
So anyways, he arrives, busts through the wall and rescues Enza, sees that there is a bomb. And the bomb is one of those cool spheres with the burning fuse that you always see in the cartoon. Uh, That's the bomb they have here. Uh, I'm curious if anybody knows, has there ever really been bombs like that? Was that a real thing? So... Uh, so he grabs her, flies off, and of course the bomb explodes, destroying the building. She relates to Dr. Fate what happened and why. You know, the, the whole the whole story. So what the bad guys are going to do, this was the example in the letter, was to get into a bank. They will blow out the wall of an adjoining building that adjoins the bank building where the safe in the bank is. So by blowing the adjoining wall, they will also blow the wall of the vault. And they can go right in. And to cover up the sound of the explosion, they need to employ a bank of printing presses that are running at the time they blow it up. That way it covers the sound. So there is your um, perfect crime, I guess, as it were. So they do this. They blow the wall. Uh, Dr. Fate in patrolling was listening, mystically sensing for that type of disturbance, finds it and heads to the bank. When he gets there, he seals the doors and windows so they can't get out. And we see him in this panel flying by a bank of machines and conveniently located on the machine in small type is print time press. Uh, That way we know he's actually passing the printing presses, right, that were used. That signifies that he's in the right place. I guess. I can't imagine any other reason that they would have drawn that. Rather sophisticated looking machine to sit there and draw by hand too, I might add. Uh, Not quite quite Kirby-esque in uh machininess, but very detailed nonetheless. So Dr. Fate jumps the bad guys as they're filling their cloth sacks with bags of money, knocks them out, fisticuffs, hand-to-hand again, except for Birdie. Birdie is the leader. He gets away while he leaves his, his guys to get beat up. And he runs around... Tries a door, no, it's locked. Tries a window, no, it's locked. You know, starts cursing in 1940s child-like bad guy parlance. And finds that the individual windows, the individual frame, uh, 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 panes of the skylight can be jimmied. And he gets out that way up onto the roof. Dr. Fate starts to question the men, you know, realizing that somebody is missing. Who is it and where did he go? Well, the the one guy that he's questioning tells him, go find him yourself. We ain't snitching. And so Dr. Fate fires flame from his hand uh, to intimidate the gentleman, who quickly tells him, what kind of guy is he? Flames jumping right out of his mitt. Oh, mommer. M-O-M-M-E-R. I've never heard the word mommer either. So he tells Fate, Fate takes off after Birdie busts through the skylight. So apparently the skylight was a weak point in his let's seal the building mysticness that Dr. Fate threw out when he first got there. Gets to Birdie. Birdie tries to shoot him a couple times. Of course we know that Dr. Fate is impervious to such 
simpleton weapons, the bullets bounce off, although we did find out last episode that he is vulnerable to gas, Dr. Fate is. So, uh, beats up Birdie, takes him downstairs uh, back to the vault, seals himself, if I'm reading this correctly, We'll all wait here until the bank officials arrive. Make yourselves at home, boys, he tells them. Then the narrator tells us when the nine o'clock whistle blows, the gates clang open. Dr. Fate removed his seal long before, and the vault is opened. So Dr. Fate sealed himself and the bank robbers in the vault until the time release opened the vault the next morning for the bank officials. And the police are there, and a bank official, uh, the president of the bank, CEO, whatever, is there. Thanks, Dr. Fate. Offers him a reward. And he tells Dr. Fate, you saved us a couple of million dollars in securities and cash. I insist on rewarding you, say, $50,000. And just like that, Dr. Fate comes back. I don't like to sound greedy, but I need more than that. Twice that amount. (laughs) Just, Just the way that's written. It's like, well... It's good you don't mean to sound greedy, because boy, you sure as heck did. And then he explains, apparently, to the bank official why he needs more money. And uh, this coming out in 1941, wartime, you know, everything, the the bank owner, the bank CEO is, is, of course, well, I'm more than glad to give that. I'm kind of ashamed that I haven't given anything to that cause up until now. And Dr. Fate leaves with his portion, $100,000, of the overall donation that the Justice Society of America is going to donate to refugee children of affected democracies, or, you know, thereabouts. Now, let me flip to the back-framing sequence here quickly, and... Narrator tells us from all points of the compass, the members of the Justice Society start arriving at the Society's headquarters. Fate and Hawkman, Adam and Sandman, Spectre and Hourman. Then the Green Lantern pops up. Okay, so that's seven. Now, we didn't read it, of course. Uh, You can read it if you want to read all of the stories. Um... I found that they are in all this issue of All Star Comics is in All Star Comics Archives number two that DC published. I can't get any clear publication date, but it was in the early ish 90s, 91, 23, around in there somewhere. We didn't read, but apparently Johnny Thunder had problems coming up with his portion. So now he's down $300,000. Okay, he's dragging in. He still has to go to the meeting, but he's dragging in, getting there. And then he gets there, and he he hides. He crawls under the table uh, while everyone is discussing. You know, well, I have mine. I have mine. I have it. Johnny's not here. Well, that means we're going to be short, etc., etc., etc. So they discover Johnny Thunder, and um, Green Lantern asks him, "Where is your share, Johnny Thunder?" And he says, who, me? Oh, you mean my share? Oh, <laughs> I uh, didn't know what you meant. I'm broke. I not only didn't get my share, but I've even lost all my own money. I earned $10, then had to pay a fine with it. I, I guess I'm a failure, fellas. And then they start they start pranking him. Our man and Adam, Adam uh, start giving him a hard time for not coming across with his portion. And, and he gets kind of cross with him, says... 
Say, you can't say that about my Thunderbolt. Key words there, by the way. He's not a piker. I, I don't know piker either. He isn't much help on financial matters, but if he could help me, he would. I bet you. Gee. And then the narrator tells us, oh no, there go those magic words, say you, which uh, the, the magic words are actually C-E-I-U, but I guess that's how they're pronounced. That is what Johnny Thunder, for those of you that may not know, uses to call his Thunderbolt, who's a genie, and then command the genie to help him, as we mortals do with genies, apparently. He said, I can't ask you fellas to help me out. It was bad enough that you had to last time. If you recall, the last time they tried to raise money, Johnny Thunder came up short then, too. But gee whiz, if only our honorary members, Superman, Batman, and The Flash, would come in, each with $100,000, then we'd make the million we need. Suddenly, the Thunderbolt strikes, and there appears Superman, Batman, and The Flash, all holding cash and or bags of cash. Thunderbolt went out, contacted them, they raised the money, Thunderbolt brought them in. Justice Society of America hit their $1 million pledge to donate. Now, one of the final-ish pages of this book has some text with pictures of of all the members uh, scattered around the, the page. There are four inset circles, each with a profile picture, and then a group picture. And the text says, the Justice Society of America... Hereby elects Green Lantern as the fourth honorary member, like Superman, Batman, and The Flash. Said honorary membership to be for life, and does hereby elect Dr. Midnight as the new active member in his place. So the the roster is changing. And a leave of absence is hereby granted to the Hour Man, whose active duties will be taken up by Starman making our roll call until further notice the following Hawkman, Sandman, Adam, Spectre, Johnny Thunder, Doctor Fate, Doctor Midnight, and the Starman, with Superman, Batman, Flash, and Green Lantern now honorary members. Under the leadership of Hawkman, who is now chairman since the Green Lantern has become the fourth honorary member, like Superman, Batman, and the Flash, the Justice Society has resolved to carry on its good work. But suddenly it comes face to face with a new weird evil that threatens the very foundation of justice. Never before has the Justice Society been faced with such a perplexing problem until the advent of Dr. Midnight and his mascot Hootie, a wise old owl. Be sure to get the next issue of All-Star Comics, number 8, and see how Dr. Midnight and the Starman win their spurs as members of the Justice Society of America. So, next issue, issue 8, when we talk about it, we'll have a new honorary member, Green Lantern, who we won't be seeing then, a new chairman, Hawkman, and new members, Dr. Midnight and Starman. A lot of stuff happening here in these first... This is, what, issue 7. So these first 10 issues... There's a lot of of stuff going on. Now, initially, you seldom, if ever, really saw Superman and Batman in the book, even though they were members of the group, because their writers and their editors didn't want to detract from or cause confusion with their book adventures in Superman, Batman, Detective, and Action Comics, I believe. So, 
they were honorary members. Then the Flash went and became an honorary member, I suppose for the same reason. And now Green Lantern has become an honorary member, I suppose for the same reason. But with the Flash and the Green Lantern, I would suspect something else is going on because I wouldn't think that their books were of the same popularity as Batman and Superman and so their creators would be worrying about, well, you know, if I'm doing this here and they're doing this there, people will be confused. And uh, Which, of course, I like that kind of thinking because I am a fan of continuity. I don't like the current thinking prevalent at, say, oh, Marvel, where the characters can just do whatever they want without any consequences of any other stories involving that character anywhere else in the Marvel Universe. I just, I have problems with that. If you're going to have a coherent universe, then make it a coherent universe. Okay, off the bandstand. We have a comment here on the Google Plus page from Dale Russell. I believe, if I recall, Dale Russell is the only person so far that has commented on Google Plus. He's done so multiple times. This time saying, good show. I'm loving these Golden Age comics. They're so different, but still very entertaining. Thank you, Dale. I like the Golden Age, too, because of that. They just have a completely different feel from the modern comics, and it's it's a nice kind of palate cleanser uh, when you're trying to perhaps soldier through a lot of these Golden Age stories and books. Now, the Golden Age feel of Dr. Fate is going to start changing a little bit because we are coming into the time frame chronologically where the All-Star Squadron stories will also play a part in Dr. Fate's chronological adventures. The All-Star Squadron occurring during World War II, of course they are detailing the exploits of heroes on uh, home ground during World War II. So we're going to start seeing Golden Age stories in a much more modern tone, okay, as the All-Star Squadron was, what, early, or uh, middle, middle, Early to middle 80s, I think, was All-Star Squadron. So, But before, we, we've got an All-Star Squadron appearance coming up soon in episode, actually, 48. But next episode, episode 47, we will be talking about the current Dr. Fate book, issue number four. So be ready, read up, and we'll talk to you guys again next time. Ciao. Lords of Order is a Teal production, and as such is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, non-derivative, 3.0, unported license.